Hello and welcome to the Create Don't Hate podcast. Uh, we're back this week with a special guest, as usual, um, Mr. Jonathan Liao. I'll let him introduce you, introduce him, I'll let him introduce himself after the break. Okay, welcome back. Uh, wait, uh, yeah, okay, welcome back. Um, we have with me Mr. Jonathan Liao. And uh, without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yep, so my name is Jonathan, Jonathan Liao. I've been playing rugby and involved with the SCC and the SRU for quite a number of years. Uh, won't say my age because I think I'm about <laughs> older than, second oldest, I think I've been on the, on the person to be on the show. But yeah, um, so I've been involved in various capacities as a player, coach, administrator. Um, organizer on top of my day job so it's been interesting and on sitting on various committees and stuff and paying back I guess uh, to the game that we all love but to sport in general so that's kind of a, me in a nutshell I guess that's uh, mm. a quick intro I think John uh, you have many positions many <laughs> important positions especially in recent times too many um, yeah. like you say like, as, you, as you get older <laughs> but you still want to continue playing which yes. you still are doing <laughs> So um, let's rewind it back. Uh, let's go back to how you started picking up the game of rugby. Yeah, I mean that—that's the question you always ask everyone. And and yeah. you know, I hear you. I hear all your previous guys talk about the joy of taking up and running away and running all that. Uh, if you can see, I'm a big guy. <laughs> so I give you a different perspective. My love for it was picking up the ball as the one of the biggest guys on my age group and running into people. It was fun. <laughs> as you get older, you are no more one of the bigger guys of the age group. Uh, but, you know, for me, rugby actually was something that had to, came into my life quite naturally, purely mm. because uh, of my family connection to the sport. Mm. I'm quite blessed that I have uh, both sides of my family have played the game for either school or national team. Mm. Uh, my dad was the first Singaporean to captain Singapore. So, you know, as you know... Oh, yeah. um, during the time colonialism and all that kind of stuff yep. uh, in the mid-60s. In 72, he was the first local to set to captain an uh, all-citizens team. Yeah. So he he's obviously had quite a long lineage in the game. and But that being said, he didn't like give me the ball when I was born kind of situation. I kind of fell into it mm. at my mother's pushing, actually, uh, when I was in primary school. Okay. Uh, yeah. Mr. Liao Kim Liet, right? Yeah, Liao Kim Liat. So my dad, Liao Kim Liat. The Liao family and the Sung family. Mm. Um, quite, fa I mean, infamous or famous, how you put it, uh, <laughs> in both sides, in, in, stand, in the school and national as well. So three of my uncles played for the national team. Okay. I think it's important to have that kind of uh, heritage. Uh, yeah. Right. A lot, of the, a lot of the kids nowadays picking up the sport is just about themselves and watching YouTube and, and, yeah. and, and aspiring to be future stars or whatever. But we tend to forget where the game started from. We tend yeah. to forget our roots a bit. So, yeah. I, I think it's the support as well. So, I think when I was growing up, I think a lot of I think among a lot of people my age as well, my, my father didn't spend that much time with me growing up because he was pursuing a career, pursuing a business, and which is very natural for a lot of people. Uh, it wasn't as if, you know, it was grooming you watch the movies is the son grooming the i uh, sorry the father grooming the son it wasn't that much it was more the fact like you said it grew up around the game so it was very yep. natural yep. You know, it was natural to hear s the stories yeah uh it was also very natural to have the support yeah um you know my mom like i said my mom grew, came from a rugby, rugby playing family all her brothers played rugby mm. so when i was nine she said why don't you go and try you know, uh, I think most mothers wouldn't allow their only <laughs> child uh, to go and do such a thing. Yeah. But that was uh, important, I think. Yeah. The environment. Uh, yeah. The environment. Uh, passively, you were absorbing the game. and, and Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the interesting thing is the, the first point you brought up, like, I think the, it's easy for people to say, oh, rugby, I run away from people and all that. <laughs> but uh, you brought up the different perspective running through people. Yes. And uh, that's the beautiful thing about rugby, yeah. right? You can play, you can pick up the game, uh, whatever shape and size you are. Correct. It's for all shapes and sizes. I yeah. mean, I, I was, I was going to make a joke. I mean, all the pre your previous guys have been obviously sevens or uh, <laughs> uh, backs, right? So now you've got a front row, it's a bit different. But yeah, 
you know, it, it is that part of the game. Uh, I think for, I think during that part of my life and also now if you notice that period, the coaching and everything else wasn't so important. It was just having fun, yep. you know, picking up the ball and running. Yep. And at that at that stage when I was playing, you know, we didn't really have a coach that knew what was going on, yeah. you know. The joke is that we played our own position. So mm. because I was the biggest guy on the pitch, uh, my team, I played fullback. Because they say you can catch the ball, you take the ball and run. So when it came to scrum time in tennis side, I, can, I went back into the scrum. So it was, it was ridiculous. Like yeah, we didn't have yeah. as much of that kind of rigid. It was, it was, I won't say rigid. I think organization yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit. More structured now. Yeah. Like the, I mean, that's the bit more fun back then. Like yeah. It's kampong rugby. Uh. It's really kampong. I think about it now. I laugh, you know. <gasps> I think to myself, it would never have. And this happened all the way to primary school, primary six, you know, I yeah. still remember, you know, at all this junior rugby tournaments or all that, I was still doing that. Yeah, 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 hey, yeah, John, yeah. you stand on the wing, you stand behind, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. I'm like, and we had no coach yeah. and we all coached ourselves. So yeah. it was quite interesting, I think, that growing up, I was quite fortunate to have that support. Hmm. Um, it would be quite important. I mean, I've gone through certain stops in my life, which we can go through, but any other parents would have probably said you should stop playing lah. Mm. but I think quite blessed to have that kind of support through, throughout yeah. so far it's a much simpler game back then yeah much I think simpler. much simpler much simpler <laughs> times yeah. I would imagine the okay I'm gonna ask you uh, a tougher question sure uh, now having grown up in that kind of environment where rugby playing family and when did you like realise the impact of your dad's position in rugby as a first Singaporean yeah. captain or, or how did that play out in your development in, in rugby? I mean, if you ask my dad, he'll say completely opposite lah because my dad played standoff for Singapore and yeah. here his son is number one so he's you know, missing a zero so but um, you know, he would look, I think I didn't realise the whole gravity of it till I was much older probably till I was maybe in my mid, mid-twenties quite, quite late mm. But I knew that my dad obviously was played rugby for Singapore mm. and um, was quite, I, w- I would say quite connected because of that. People knew his name and all that constitution. You don't realise it at the time. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have the chance to see my dad play uh, rugby when I was growing up because he had already retired at that stage. So mm. I didn't really have that gravity. You, know, you don't really know what is that, that gravitas because you just hear the history. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate that he actually kept all his newspaper cuttings. So yeah. I grew up reading those newspaper cuttings. Yeah. And so I knew a little bit of the history and all that kind of situation yeah. of the of the sport and of the guys and all that kind of situation. Mm. Um, but it never really was that important until I think as I got older, you, you, you experience life a little more and you actually do realise that being the first local to captain a, a team that was yeah. predominantly full of expatriates previously due to whatever the the, the, the it's just the nature the nature of the, of the day yeah. the nature of the game the nature of the day yeah um it's quite important la, i think mm. you know i am quite proud of the fact that i can tell everyone that my dad was the first captain of singapore mm. i i say it that way because it's it's true yeah. effectively that's the first singapore team yeah. and i am i'm to a point where i think that his what he did to be honest is you know, you hear these old stories about how, like, you know, you would hear how the old guys would scold us and say, you know, when I was playing on the national team, I had to pay my own train ticket to go up to yeah, so and so yeah, and play. Yeah, yeah. You guys are getting it so well. I look at it at a different point. I look at it that these guys are very similar to the guys that we have today. But they had personal sacrifices. But mm. it, can you imagine in that day as well, um, work is like 100%. You know, playing sport is really like a playing yeah, game, yeah. you know? And the amount of sacrifices all those guys had um, is tremendous ah. and you know I, I hear the stories of how my dad and in those days you know go for two it's not a weekend it's not a week you know, it's like three weeks kind of situation mm-hmm. two and a half weeks because my dad was in a bus- was setting up his own business he had to weigh that up which kind of um, influenced his retirement from the game a little bit early on but that then left on to me a lot of life lessons ah. um, but long answer to your short question is it only dawned on me a bit later in life purely because I think I realised as you get older, you realise how things were in the past and how things uh, and how much actually effort it took to get to where where he, he was. Mm. The 
yeah, I think the comparisons can be made lah. Like, um, I think rugby back then was still very amateur, yeah. and uh, when you when you half the people in Singapore would not know what you're talking about. Yeah, more than half, I think. Um, even when I was growing up, like I'm a bit younger than you, just a bit. Um, like when I started playing rugby in primary school, nobody knew what the hell it was. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. They knew it's an overshaped ball. They would conf- compare it to American football. Exactly. You know, I would say that taxi, yeah. taxi driver. Say, oh, so you play rugby? Plays yeah, that way. Helmet, helmet with the, <laughs> the body exactly. armor and yeah. all that. I was like, wow. Yeah. No, but ironically, you look at it. If I look through the clippings, there were a lot more media coverage in the day. Ah, that is a good point. Yeah, you know, you look at it. There was regular media media coverage. You yeah. know, you had beat writers yeah. like Godfrey Robert who wrote that book um, that came out. Mm. He was a beat writer. That's how he knew all the all the local rugby players because mm. he was a junior writer that was assigned to writing it. Nowadays, there's no such thing as a beat writer. <laughs> that's the... Okay, that's one of the reasons why I, I started this podcast also. Um, I thought it, it is important to keep sharing these uh, stories. Yeah. Um, whether they are championship winning, whether they are not championship winning, like like all the things that you have mentioned just yeah. now, not one thing you have talked about is results based, yeah. which is important, and these are stories that people need to know, yeah. right? So again, same thing like you mentioned, it it just feels like there was a lot of media coverage back then. Yeah. Maybe it was a simpler time. Maybe rugby was exciting, or, yeah. or just sport in general was exciting. Yeah. And and like you said, now if you ask people to collect newspaper clippings, they, what the hell is that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They would have on. I mean, social media is one thing, but yeah. this is mainstream media we're talking about, lah. Yeah, how yeah. where to find the newspaper clippings? <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to rare find. Rare, It'll be rare. Yeah, rare. Um, I mean, only for the bad things, unfortunately, yeah. So scandals, scandals and your whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's been interesting to to see that, lah. I think, you know, you hear the stories of how the Padang used to be the center of sport, Padang and Fer- and Fer- Park. I'm mm. still of that age where I can say that I actually played at Ferrer Park, I trained at Ferrer Park, mm. you know, where the toilets were terrible, but, you know, there's, there was a lot of memories around places like Ferrer Park and, yeah. and the Padang, right, which, you know, are fa- fast eroding, la. thank goodness that we are lucky to have, to have the opportunity to play at the Padang, but yeah. the stories you hear is, is like, you know, ridiculous. Stories you hear, the pictures you see of exactly. the, those days, uh, like, just, just the school games yeah. at the Padang, the school games between whether it's Raffles, ACS, and St. Yeah. Andrews or whatever. The crowds would just line up and yeah. around the field and, and cheer, cheer each other on. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but you know, my first experience of that yeah. was when I was in set one mm. and it was 93. Mm. So um, that team, as we all know, we know a lot, of, we know some of the guys on that team. So mm. that team. Basically, that final, they had lost the previous year. And so, it was against Dunham Tech and all that. So, it was a kingpin kind of situation, yep. right? I tell you, as a young 13-year-old, that experience of standing on the club padang, like you said, cheering, jeering, running with the flags and all that kind of stuff. And then, when we finally won, run onto the pitch. Yeah. You cannot replicate. You cannot replicate. You, you know, it's it's still that, 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 it's some sort of secret sauce, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know? There is a difference between watching a game online there's a difference between watching a game on tv there's a difference between watching a game from a distance yeah and there's a difference between watching the game right beside it yeah and uh i mean we i don't know we we have just developed and, and grew out of it like in, in a sense yeah uh i think you go to australia and new zealand and, and their club games and school games, they are still played in this kind of uh, field atmospheres where students are just sitting by the side of the field yep. and then there's just a single rope yep. uh, um, being the barrier separation between the, the playing area and yep. the supporters area. I mean, even playing at the OPA at Thompson Road mm. was also quite special. Exactly, yeah. Because you had, like I yeah. said, very, very close to the action. You're, yeah. you know, so it's, it's those kind of simple memories, I guess, you know, mm. even playing at Ferrer Park. We used to play league games at, the fer- at Ferrer Park, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember, as a, as a schoolboy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So now, since you touched on the, that when you were a 13-year-old boy, so talk us through a bit about your schoolboy rugby days, um, if you have some interesting stories or whatever, and then from there, how you transited into playing... Uh, adult rugby playing for SEC and things like that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I, I ended up at St. Andrews. Uh, I was quite fortunate to be there, to be honest with you. Great um, school, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> uh, 
And I have a passion for that school purely because I think it's a different environment that, and it's it's given me a lot of tangible memories. So I'm quite passionate about that. And so yeah, so I ended up playing uh, uh, in, in secondary school. Um, I mean, I have to admit, I was never the fittest. I was never the best. Um, I was fortunate that because of the history of rugby that I got in, and access that I got to, you know, good old days videotapes, VHS videotapes. My dad had friends that would send him Lions games, mm. you know. So I just basically ate it up. So mm. I became quite a student of the game in the sense I sat down and watched a lot of things. Mm. Mm. Um, and that gave me a little bit of an added advantage in those days yeah. without YouTube yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that, where among my peers, I actually kind of knew what it was. Mm. I think, you know, so I think one of the things was that nowadays kids have all the facilities to excel. Yeah. Cannot see, got glasses, go quickly go and get contact lens, no no yeah. no worries yeah. about it. Yeah. You got asthma, go and get the inhaler, go and sort it out, yeah. kind of situation. You don't know what to do, how to get fit, you YouTube. I think one of the things that and I'm not in not in hindsight, but I think you you're not even a regret, but you it's a point that you in those days you didn't really have that guidance, yeah. so to speak. Right. Yeah. Um I be, we basically relied very much on what the coaches said and what the teachers said yeah. and what you read in Castillo books, right? You know? And those old books will be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Muscle mm-hmm. Muscle Man Beach books, which don't really um, do. But yeah, so I played um, played school days. I think that was interesting as well. Like I, <coughs> like I said, ninety three was my first year. Um, in my four years there, I played in a couple of games, and I mean, in situations where there were a lot of, uh, I think, scandals. Unfortunately, so one was that we got kicked out of the C Division tournament in Sec Two. Mm. Um, so that was interesting. Um, basically, our for I would say our principal of the day decided that we were not to go and play against Ri at Ri mm. at the pool game, and Ri were the conveners at the time, mm. and they decided to disqualify us on that basis on the eve of our semi-finals. <laughs> um, so it was quite emotional for us because leading up to the semi-finals. You know, I had pulled my dad down. I said, hey, guys, let's go. You know, we need to train. Let's train on a Sunday. Let's yeah, go. And yeah. So, you know, I even pulled. So I got my father and his friends all come and coach us on a s- three, four Sundays in a row leading up to that. And like the week of or the day before we heard it, you know, it was quite emotional for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the only time uh, that I think that was one of the times where media came up. So yeah. it was actually reported in the press. Um, I still remember the headline to this very day, uh, which devil made the saints cry? <laughs> Sensationalism, of <Okay>. course. <laughs> but um, because we all were very, very emotional about it. And that was a stage where I learned very much about being committed and following through, so to speak. Um, a lot of us wanted to quit the team. Uh-huh. Uh, I had an opportunity to transfer out. Mm. Um, I didn't. Uh, not because I was any good, but because I felt look, my friends are here and I'm committed to this, I might as well be committed to that. Yeah. And it stayed. Um, next year, we got to the finals, but we lost. Uh, and then, I think the year after that, my final year, my set four year, we didn't, We I think we got third, but I think that was the beginning a little bit of your terminology. Uh, the dark era. The dark ages, yeah. The you dark know, era. Um, I think that, my year was the last year we made the semi-finals for about Four or five or six years. That was oh, so now I have discovered. Uh, yes. Uh, so you can blame. You can so blame. So started with that incident, uh, probably. Uh, no, no, no. You can blame Justin to uh, a year, the year after <laughs> me, right? Um, but what I'm saying, uh, yeah. So it, it was quite interesting because I think those days, you get that sense of, especially in St Andrews, in rugby was was one of the games where, it's kind of like a bit like English public school. It's mm. it's it's very, it's prestigious. It is the game, but yeah. at the same time you learn about the passion that was... So you see, it was in those days, it was fueled very much by volunteerism. still is. Still, still, is, yeah, still is. But it was, you know, you had guys like, you know, we all know the coaches who mm. turned up and some of them were like, our work just changed up and yeah, started yeah, coaching yeah, kind of situation. Yeah. And all through my four years, I had volunteer coaches. Yeah. I think Mr. Young was the only kind of full-time coach yeah. but he was a teacher. So yeah. that was the things. And, you know, we always made due... Made kind of do deal with what we had you know um, as you would remember there was a field that was full of Mozart's um, kind of situation yes. uh, 
There was one year I can still remember Mr. Ayong pulled out a bag of balls and said, sure, these are our new balls. I said, stamina on the side of the ball. <laughs> you kick the ball, the wind blow, the ball will go the other side. You know, it was uh, one of those things. Like, and yeah. I remember him, uh, to his credit, sc- silk screening in the PE room on his own, the logo onto our shorts. Mm. You know, um, So those were the days. Um, and then after that, I, I, was in, I, was in, I was in JC for six months. Uh, didn't do very well in Chinese, as, as most people do. <laughs> but, um, you know, my parents decided to send me overseas to finish up my A-levels. Yeah. And so I went to uh, Sydney because uh, I had relatives there. Mm. And effectively, I was adopted by my auntie, uh, uncle and auntie for about eight, eight to nine months. Mm. Um, basically... I went. I attended a, uni- uh, a program that was linked to the university. Yeah, and it's like so a foundation. Foundation, yeah. yeah. So it was, um, and that, and you know, me being me, said, "Hey, since I'm here, I want to play rugby." You know, just like I thought I was in secondary school, go and find a school team. Ah. So yeah. the final school team was the university team. <laughs> so I went to go and try out for the university coach team, which is under twenty ones. Yeah. And I found myself playing in the six team out of six teams, with. 19, 20 year old guys and here was I like 17 years old kind of situations and that really taught me a lot mm. um, playing wise taught me a lot uh, and I also found out about myself I think about different things about if you really want it you got to work at it yeah. you know, and that's where I started a bit late I would say I started yeah. putting a bit more effort and that's where the I mean I think also it's an environment you get the resources because yeah. I was working out with guys that by that stage had already been in the gym three years yeah, yeah, you know yeah. they knew what you know to us gym was just rickety old dumbbells they actually yeah, knew yeah, what exactly. to do rugby specific, uh, rugby specific or even mean? just general yeah. uh, stuff you know they they, they they weren't just running clicks for the sake of running that like how I was brought up is you want to get fit just going to run yeah. you know there yeah. were a lot more different things uh, and also it taught me perseverance because my uncle and auntie stayed an hour and a half away from university. So every day I'll take a tra- half one uh, 90 minute train in mm. and a 90 minute train back. So that's a three hour trip. In the winter when rugby was played, I would go back at 9.30, you know, yeah. 17 yeah, years yeah. old and walk. And then from the station, it's another 25 minute walk to back. So you learn lah. If you really want it, you do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was in university. I think... Uh, uh, that was interesting for me with preparation. It made me grow up quite a fair bit. That's the that's the thing that um, I think this point came up when I was talking to Sham the other day. Yeah. Um, he talked about how being in that kind of environment, uh, that exposure to to the standards and the mindset of these athletes that are at another level, yeah. really makes a difference. I mean, you may think that you are. Oh, I'm the I'm the best player in school or whatever. But the moment you enter this kind of environment, these guys are competing to be best players at their sport in the world. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, at the university level in Australia, rugby is played at quite a high level. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure some of them have aspirations to make the Wallabies and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of exposure, I think, uh, Sham at that time was yearning for, and yeah. he that was his story, right? He yeah. almost made it. And then yeah, um, and, and, yeah, and the point is also it's not even the top of the cream. It's the entire carton of milk. Yeah. If you want to use the analogy, because I was playing with guys that didn't even make the first team of their yeah. schools. Yeah, you know, but they were still ve- you know the the first fifteen coats were guys that after that became wallabies, like you said. Mm. So you know there, there are there are a couple of private schools there. One of them, one of my friends was a was attended. He brought me there to have a look. Mm. At that time, mid nineties, I look at it. I think am I in my professional setup? You know, because a the kind of support they put in and the money they put in, but you know, like you said, it's it's that that sharp iron sharpens sharp uh, steel uh, steel uh, metal sharp sharpens metal kind of situation, yeah. I guess. Um, but it was yeah, like you said, it's that kind of environment really brought you know. So at that point, I you know, believe it or not, I was like one hundred and fifty kilos at sec four, and mm-hmm. I lost a tremendous amount of weight mm. leading up to that and I you know I, I got I got fit the um, and so when I came back uh, I had to come back for NS obviously yeah um, so I came back for NS and for uh, because of an incident that happened in secondary school I was downgraded to Vessi so mm. I didn't basically get to go to to 
to uh, combat fit on that mm-hmm. kind of situation. So obviously at that stage, there was still sta- safsa yep, in those yep, days. Yep. But it's also a matter of who you know and whether you've played for the national team yes. and, yep. and, and, and that kind of situation. So effectively, at the, in those days, safsa was a de facto national team or mm-hmm. national age group team. Yep. So obviously, I didn't make the cut because yep. I wasn't... So I went in with guys a year above me. So I was basically in the in the, in a, a year bracket above, so I you know that's when I started playing with the SCC Colts. Yeah. Um, obviously, my dad played for the club for a long time, and it just seemed a natural progression to yeah. go and start playing. Uh, it was interesting because we were that Colts team was uh, had really good players. There was a generation of, of good players. So mm. one is the Peter Pan of Singapore rugby. Harun Naim was mm. uh, was was there, and then we had Harry Mason as well. So it. And then obviously Paul Foster before he discovered uh, television and being a modeling, a modeling and a superstar. Um, but that was that was the kind of players that we had. We had yeah. a good mix. Yeah. So played Colts um, that year. Um, was fortunate. So I was eighteen that year. I, was, I think that year was for me um, the, quite the pinnacle because I managed. We managed to beat Safsa in the semi-finals. Yeah. SEC Colts. We made it to the finals. Okay. First time ever. So it was a bunch of. CJC boys, uh, expat school kids, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, uh, we made it. And, la- and the those Safsa, days... I mean, was seen like the combined schools team. It right? was exactly. a national under-20 yeah, team, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and we beat them. Yeah. Uh, Farrell Park, I still remember. And it was re- good. And then we got to we got to the finals. Uh, we got outclassed by Lion Red. Mm. Uh, national team guys like, yeah. like, like Mark Lee and Andrew Kwong were there. So it was, you know, it was interesting. Uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me. Mm. And then later, I think... Later on in the year, uh, I got selected to... So it, it was quite interesting. Uh, so here was I, a virtual unknown in schoolboy rugby. Um, and I basically spent eight months in Australia and suddenly I came back and I was playing decent level. I won't say everything, but I was playing decent. And and then um, I got invited to go up to... Uh, to go and just play with a trial, a train with the under-18s. So the Singapore under-18s were... First time they were going to were formed that year mm. and we were going to play a tr- home triangular against Malaysia and Thailand. Mm. So I went in and I just went, uh, you know, I'm in national service, I'll just come after thing and I'll just play. So I was already posted to a union, I was a club. Yeah. Um, and then the number eight who was supposed to play injured himself and they said, would you like to, we're going to select you. I mean, yeah, so I got the high of, yeah, I'm going to be selected in the national team, under 18 team. And it's going to be home. You know, my dad's going to be so happy because yeah, of that yeah. stage. And then a week later, I get told, sorry, John, it's going to be a school's, Singapore school's site. And I went, okay, I've got no school then. Yeah. You know? And so then I, I said, okay, don't mind. I just want to train. Can I come and train with you? Two weeks later, okay, John, we make it back to uh, under 18. So you're back in the squad. <laughs> so it's the highs and the lows, right? In, in a two-week <laughs> period. But I think that, incident and that bunch of guys that I got to know, a lot of them ended up playing for the national team. It was a very good glimpse because in those days, it was a very good glimpse into a high performance level because I never played combined schools mm-hmm. and all that kind of situation. A bit like you, I'm not so thick skin, la, but a bit like you, I wasn't that good to get invited to, 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 to combine schools and mm. stuff. So for me, this under-18s was actually quite a good in introduction to high performance rugby, yeah. what, I w- what we would term you know, it was, you know, we had meals, we, and the coach was Brian Milford, and, and you know, he sits down, sits, he got all of us into his house, and we had a full briefing, you know, things like that. And back then, I think that kind of setup, that kind of coaching is totally different from what you have experienced in the schools, because schools were, uh, school level coaching was <laughs> not so, like you said just now, it's not so professional, yeah. not so well organized. Yeah. It's a lot of volunteer based and a lot of coaches with a lot of passion that want to give back. Yeah. Um, and and to them the, the textbook or the coaching manual is is they're allergic to it because they don't want to you know, they w- they would rather base off experience. Not wrong, yeah, but yeah. you know, in I mean, you could get away with it in the mid nineties, but in today's day and age, yeah, very hard. Mm. Um yeah, so the, the kind of coaching was and the I think it's just the setup, I think was really good. Um, so I, I really enjoyed myself. Uh, uh, played that. And then um, the following year, I got... Um, I was still involved in under-19s at Singapore level. And then... Uh, but And then uh, under-20s level. So that was my last year. 
uh, before I so I was going to go back to to Sydney to finish up my university studies. Uh, so my last game uh, in Singapore effectively was for the under twenties uh, against Thailand. Mm. Uh, they used to have the youth cup, the youth cup. Mm. So it was Singapore versus Thailand, and then they had the curtain razor, which was the youth, the young guys. Um, so I played in that one. So that was my last tournament. Uh, it was there that I tore without. I only knew after that I tore my labrum in four four pieces, <laughs> in four parts, from from tackling someone obviously, um, but I didn't know what was going on at the time. Mm. Um, I think it's a tackle, uh, to be honest with you. <laughs> but <laughs> so we lost that game, uh, but I treasured that moment and I went on to university. Um, I thought I could play. I I I was quite gawang because I went in through through that in that period where. Um, the season had just started, mm. so I said, "Can I go and train with the first team, the first team Colts?" So I was just, I was just twenty. So that was the last chance I could get play age group lah. So I yeah. said, "Can I just go and train you?" I said, "I don't expect to walk into the team. I just want to train with you guys." Yeah. And um, basically, I was in a training drill where I had to tackle this guy called S Scott Scannerforth. I don't know whether you know Scott Scannerforth. Yeah, 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 yeah. He ended up being a wallaby, right? Yeah, yeah. He basically ran through my shoulder, and I felt as if someone ripped my shoulder apart. And that's where I then... But again, this is a support, right? I On university campus, I went to the... There's a physio on the university campus and the guy, one looked at it, said, you got to see the doctor upstairs. I think you've torn your labrum. Mm. And I went, okay. So I went out to see the doctor and she didn't even do any x-rays. She just felt it. She said, yep, you've torn your labrum. Go and see the specialist. And and this had been bothering... This shoulder had been bothering me for about a year. Mm. You know, in Singapore, at the time, I, w I was under... Uh, Singapore Sports Council. When we we did the the injections and everything else, yeah, and it still yeah. didn't still didn't work. And so basically, I was told at that stage that I, if I wanted to ever lift my arm up, I would need to go and get it surgically oh, no, repaired. Yeah, and yeah. the doc, the surgeon that was consulting me was actually an ex wallaby as well. So he <laughs> said, "Look, you know, in my years, uh, as a doctor, I, I would recommend that you get it." I'll go in and, and do it. You know, and those days, no keyhole. It was going to be an incision in, open up. Yeah. yeah. He said, but to be fair, if you've been living with it for the last number of uh, months, that means that means it's the tears probably are micro tears. Yeah. <coughs> and so then you can do conservative and see how it goes from there. Mm. So he, he said, look, I'll recommend you a physio, but you go conservative. If you want, you go conservative. So I went conservative. So mm. I never got it fixed. But I, there, there was the longest I've been out in the game. So I was out of the game for about a year and a half. Mm. Um, so that was a bit of a low point for me. Yeah. Um, and then uh, obviously tr during that period, so during NS, I started playing with the SEC, obviously okay. because of Colts. So I was playing for their seconds and that's where I got involved with the club. Yeah. Um, and that's where, you know, I got involved with, m you know, meeting a bunch of guys that, that are, are very diverse. And that was part of the beauty of the game. You are in a club situation where you get to meet guys that played for England B, New Zealand A. Yeah, yeah. And but these guys are normal blokes that you know you get to a sense of different culture as well, yeah. which is how I was used to it as well. So it was, it was interesting. And then um, yeah, and then from there we got on. I you know doing university, so I was end up playing university for Sydney University. Um, again, I was in the sixth team out of the sixteen, but it, you know, but it was interesting. So I worked my way up. But like you said, it was one of those things where really you just, that you don't even have to be in the first team, but it's the environment of the success. Yeah. You know, we, I was, I was basically warming up for 20 minutes every session with the likes of Phil War, Dan Vickerman. These were wallabies that were coming back and training in the club. And yeah. everybody, doesn't matter whether you're sixth team or the first team, would warm up, do contact drills, do ball work, do, do whatever. For 20 minutes as a club, everybody yeah. does it. Then you straight off into your different teams. And that was, you know, even from that short kind of thing, yeah, was yeah. really good. And then through the, you know, because you had a proper coaching structure, you had your director of rugby that was coming down to the lower levels mm. to make sure that what they were doing was was consistent across the board. Uh. And so I learned quite a fair bit there uh, in university. Uh, and then during university times as well, uh, I came back home and I'm doing holidays. I knew the principal of the secondary school and she said, what are you doing on holidays? I said, nothing. Mm. She said, oh, you're going to finish university soon. What are you going to do for a career? I said, I got no idea. And she goes, 
have you thought of teaching? And I went, actually, it sounds like a good idea. Mm. I, I, I don't mind. He goes, I tell you what, why don't you come back to the school and be a relief teacher and see how it goes. Lah. Yeah. So in 2002, I became the relief teacher yeah. uh, at St. Andrew. I think you were still there, right? It was my final year. Yeah. And uh, that was a culture shock to me. <laughs> of uh, course it was. I, I can imagine you, you coming back from Australia and, and uh, Sydney Uni environment and then... No, I don't, it's not even the university. It was, it was, I think maybe as you get older, you reminisce a bit, right? Mm, mm. But I reminisce it being very different slightly yeah. in my school days yeah. to coming back. Yeah. And it was... And I think the, okay, the big difference was it's not just the, the whole setup and, and whatever. Because you look at the field, it's the same field. Yeah. You look at the school building, it's the same building. But then you wonder, hey, the boys are different. The mentality of the boys are different. The attitude is different. Yeah. The... Setup is different, and yeah, yeah there was a I, distinct, I, and I'm not, I'm not, that, I'm not slagging anybody, yeah, but I think there was a distinct lack of pride in yeah. being a Saint Andrews rugby player. It, I, think I, it, I, I agree. It went through the, I think, because we that program went through the ringer, yeah, that that prestige and that kind of, hey, you know, I'm playing for somebody that for brand name kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah has gone down the hill. I, 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 totally think, I, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And so, to me, so while I was a relief teacher in pay and in name, I was effectively the only guy that was there from 7 o'clock in the morning till mm. 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. Because, uh, and I got to work with Alan and Jean and all the other coaches and I basically went up to them and said, look, I'm an old boy. Uh, you, you might know my family, but I'm keen to help. Yeah. And so it ended up on most days I would be taking the C division of 40 boys don't even know what a kid coaching the kids and yeah. then the next thing I would turn and do the B division and go hey you guys going to run here first I, I catch up with you later I don't know whether yeah. you remember those yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I remember very clearly one of the first times I was literally in the old school standing in the middle of the rugby pitch and the football pitch and looking at both sides of the team going where are my coaches never mind it's okay let me try and sort something out that was the first year that uh, we had Alan and uh, Jean yeah and that was actually the turning point. La, yeah. Right? And I think, and so for me, I took the responsibility as well. I said, look, if I'm going to be involved in this, whether it's short term or long term, uh, I need to get accredited. I need to get, you know, and what's the best, what was the best way? The best way is since I'm in Australia studying, I might as well um, take up the courses. La. So I basically got involved. I got my coaching cert there. I went to take rugby league coaching certs. I went to uh, dabble a bit in Aussie rules. I went to, you know, train a little bit with the, the university clubs in rugby league. So I basically took as much as I could mm. since I was there. Uh, father won't be too happy that I went and do other things but studying. But yeah, that's essentially what I did. But you're in that kind of environment. Might as well, right? Yeah. yeah. I basically <sighs> took fervious notes. And I think, uh, you know, I was quite fortunate that the hit Coach, uh, the head director of coaching at Sydney University at the time was a guy called Dick Laffin who Dick coached I think he coached New South Wales and then he coached in Japan but he was very patient with me he would you know he, he basically gave me a lot of notes and we sat down we chit-chatted you know every afternoon there would be coffee time with him kind of situation so I took that back to, to school um, and so then towards the end of my time at university I was asked by the principal that if I wanted to come back as a full-time she used it sports development officer, mm. which would effectively meant revamping the sports yeah. uh, thing and and being more of a pastoral care, but specifically with the rugby boys. Yeah. And so it was a big ask because if you ask any Singaporean fellow that finishes university, it's go to the bank, go to the yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And I was fortunate, again, this is, I was fortunate that I had parents that I think as much as they didn't like it, the indentation from their teeth biting their tongue was quite deep uh, but they, they let me do it I was fortunate enough to do it and because yeah. they saw that I was I I basically had a passion to wake up in the morning at 6 o'clock and get to school and get it done so I started in 03 uh, towards the end of my university and you know that was I think we were fortunate that we by that stage like you said a lot of the things that had started in 02 and 01 were slowly changing you know um, mentality was one, but even systems, you yeah. know, even structure. And I kind of put it to the point where as I wrote down when I started what I wanted as the objectives for 
the program and I kind of led it through uh, with the boys and we were fortunate that we had a good crop of of students um, that kind of were I think it also came to that tipping point where they were sick and tired of being yeah. sick and tired yeah. if you get what I mean yeah. and so then that kind of gave them gave us the impetus to the move forward the group of boys I mean guys like your ashrafs and all that uh the group of boys that you first worked with, the turning point and all that, they've probably seen enough of like Sydney and, and <laughs> doing jack all on the field. Yeah. Uh, my training sessions that we, we had what twelve guys, fifteen guys at yeah. training sessions with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got to a point where I can still remember the year, and I won't name the guy, but we had uh, we even had to cut guys from the team. <laughs> you know, we we had to cut. We had twenty five. We had twenty six guys. We had to cut. We had to have, have a team of 25. You know, it was that kind of yeah. point where, and that was quite heartbreaking because the year before, we had to basically tell the guy, hey, sorry, you were number 26 out of 25. But I think the reality of it all as well was very much that you had systems in place where people were uh, able, wanting to help, but also we were, we were, we. it was a, I think it was a melting storm because then I was joined by a few other old boys yeah. um, in teaching capacities. Mm. And then they brought along different things as well. So I think it was quite a good... I think you talk about players is one thing, but I think you talk about a coaching staff in, a, in an organisational sense. We had a quite a good mix at that stage because yeah. you had technical coaches. Then you had me as the crazy kid running around making sure everybody was okay. And then you had teachers who were doing more of the pedagogical kind of pastoral care. Are you okay? Have you run away? That kind of situation. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, like I said, I don't, we were very successful in the time that I was there. But I don't remember the wins more than I actually remember the crazy-ass stories of yeah. of the kids, you know, the boys, right? And I was reminiscing to someone the other day. I said, I actually don't remember. I do a little bit, but I don't remember that much about the championships. I remember about you know, boys coming in asking me, a boy coming in and say, Sir, I need a candle. What do you need a candle for? <laughs> Are you trying to smoke something or what? No, sir. Um, my family doesn't have money to pay for electricity bills and I need mm. to study. Mm. And so I need a candle to study in the morning before I come to school. And that just put me back, yeah. you know. Or you have boys that, where's the, you know, you have a certain boy, a person that we know who's now married with two kids who comes late to training, walking with his girlfriend hand in hand down the the Francis Thomas Drive uh, towards to send the girlfriend and everybody is really there pump in pumping position waiting for our friend to come. You know, these yeah. are stories are quite funny lah. And yeah. it, it it actually I, I look at a back I look back on it, I'm literally a kid hurting kids. And yeah. some of the stuff I would definitely change, but I think it was quite interesting at the time as well. Lah. Okay. Um, so that that was the start of you, um, so called giving back to to yeah. rugby, giving back to the school. Um, now, what makes you want to continue doing it? Like I mean, like you mentioned, you as you grow older, you still want to have your rugby playing days. You still want to have have uh, time with your family and all that. Um, committing to things like uh, helping out with the Singapore Rugby Union and, and Asia Rugby and things like that. Tell us more about those roles and why you you are happy to do them. Yeah, so I mean, I've been I've been a board member at SRU for about ten years. Uh, every year, I tell myself the last year, <laughs> but um, been helping out in var various capacities, uh, be it helping set up the Singapore Sevens in infancy, um, you know, or basically helping out as a team manager or setting up the competitions commission, which is what I'm doing now in terms of heading it up and helping strategically guide the union with their competitions plan. Uh, I'm doing a, I'm been asked to sit on the Asia Rugby Board to do something similar. So the subcommittee of the Asia yeah. Rugby just to consult on how the competitions are run. Uh, and and that is what I do with the union and with the Asian rugby and it, it's interesting, it's helpful it's it's obviously it's tedious at times, but it's also still quite interesting. Um the main, the main thing, you know, to answer your question, really, uh, why I give back or why is it that I find it important, I relate you a story. La. Um, you know, I told you that I, I did my shoulder in and I didn't play for, for, for a year and a half. So, yep. 
I came back um, and I was just running around with the with the with the SEC boys. And I still remember, uh, maybe your younger guys will even know this. Marina South was a at because Kite and it kind of flying by, but, but yeah. there was a point where we lost the Padang, so the, we had a rugby field there. So we, oh. the club constructed a rugby field in the middle of Marina South. So we were training there for a period of time. Okay. Um, and I had not run, I had just you know, not done anything. And I finished a session and I was like completely knackered. Mm. You know? And I had, I had played, and Chris Bradford, who was the captain of the first 15 at the time, mm. uh, said to me, hey, you're a fat boy, let's go and run. I go, but Chris, I'm just finished. Come on, let's go. So he ran with me that day, and then for four, the four or six weeks I'm back home, every 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 Tuesday, Thursday, he would say, okay, lunchtime, I got time, let's run before we go for training tonight. Um, fortunately, unfortunately, a couple months later, Chris passed away with mm. in the Bali. So Chris was one of the guys that perished oh, with okay. the Curl from Bali Memorial. And to me, what always resonated to me was that the boys that passed away in Bali, obviously him as friend. Um, but it was for me, it was the guy that this guy Chris didn't have to spend time with me. Yeah. He had his own other capability. You know, as I get older, he had a family, he had job, job and everything else. He didn't have to spend time with an 18, 19 year old kid saying, Hey, come, let's go and run. Because I was not, not a superstar. Mm. I was nobody kind of situation. But that was his kind of giving back to the game. And, you know, I think I, I, even though I didn't go to Bali uh, for one reason or another, um, that still touches me quite a fair bit. Mm. We lost 12 um, we lost eight guys there and, you know, it was a bit of a tragic and I, and I can still remember the time that I found out about it. I was in university and I was just paralyzed and someone said something to me like, why do you care? You didn't even play for them. You're not going to go up. Yeah. And that hurt me quite a fair bit. Mm. Um, and the memory of those guys, I knew four or five of them, the memory of these guys spurs me on a little bit mm. because I know that even if they weren't playing for this already, they'd still be giving back yeah. in some shape or form. So that w is what spurs me a little bit. It yeah. spurs me to the point also that I think in the roles that I've taken, be it coaching or team manager role, especially like I was very honoured to be the national team manager for two years yeah. purely because I never got to that level. And I wanted to be in a position to help the guys who are able to do it. And that's always been my mantra, especially even if we're mid school or what. Hey, you guys have much more talent than I ever imagined I would be. Mm. I have, uh, I'm in a position to help either is it logistically or whatever it is. I'll do my 100% purely because I think you guys, you guys should have a platform where you don't have any excuse except just focus on the game. Yeah. And that's where... Uh, even now with what I do with SRU and Asia Rugby is to provide a platform for the game to thrive yeah. um, and and to try and cut away through all the egos and the politics and everything else and get down to what is the crucial it's, it's the love of the game but it's also it's growing it so that's kind of it but yeah long again long answer to your short, short question is it's really just I think I feel that it's it's the only right thing to do yeah yeah the I also mentioned this before. I think the it is essential what you're doing. And I, I, I really appreciate guys like you and, and guys who really volunteer their time to continue working with the NSAs, with the development of uh, youth sports and growing the game, whether it's in Singapore, in Asia, and, and things like that. It's important because we don't have a professional setup. We don't have... We don't have... Uh, thousands or millions of, of, of sponsor sponsorship yeah. revenue to, to pay coaches, to pay extra staff to, yeah. to come and take care of these athletes and to, to pay administrators to run programs and things like that. And we are not there yet, right? So yeah. a lot of it is volunteer-based and it's not just rugby, it's, it's everything. Every, every, everything. Yeah. So it's important. If, yeah. if not, we will, we will not see sport grow in Singapore. You know, I think it is that, but you know, one of the things that it, so I sit on a couple of the boards as well. Somebody, somebody always says to me, oh, but George, you can't expect too much. We are volunteers. To me, um, volunteerism is not an excuse to mm. be mediocre. If you volunteer for something, it means yeah. you're going to put your heart and soul into it regardless yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, we can't do this because we we're only volunteers. Uh, you know, to me, you know, yes, it's a bit of a Singaporean mentality that, like, oh, I only, I'm only beholden to the job. I'm not paid for this. Yeah, I'm not paid for this. But I think it is 
A, the camaraderie of the game that makes it special, but I think sport in general, and I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, I hope, but the sport in general has this transformative power. Yeah. And if you don't put in effort to it, like anything, it will die. Yes. You know? Um, and I think the excuse of, oh, we're not professional, oh, we don't have uh, the funds or the, you know, the pot is... I, I always believe if there's a will, there's a way, and there are different systems to do it. I think that I'm not being critical, I hope, because I used to work for the Sports Council, but I think certain I think this actually applies to everything. We tend to cut and paste too much without thinking of whether the cut and paste is applicable to the situation into so our context. Current, into the context and the environment. Yeah. Um taking best practice from everything and mm. sticking it together does not mean you get the best of the best practice. Uh it you know I liken it to a car. You cannot take the engine of a Ferrari and you put a body of a Toy- of a Maserati. You're not going to get the best sports car. It might not even work, mm. right? Um, so I think, you know, for the system that we're in with volunteers and with part-timers is one thing. But again, it goes to the mindset. Lah, yeah. You know, if you don't take this position that you're given as a professional mindset, that you are here to contribute strategically and stuff like that, then, then it, it be defeats the purpose. I think it, uh, unfortunately, it is systematic also in the NSAs with people that that work in the NSAs mm. because they go, oh, I'm you know obviously most of the times they are involved in the sport as a player or a fan or whatever it is. Oh, I I get to I get to work in the NSA. I get to do what I love on a daily basis. Yeah, yay! You know, I get to do whatever. But you look at it in other countries as well. You look at it from a pro player's point of view. A pro player goes to the gym because it's his job every day. Yeah. They don't talk about it like, oh, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so happy I get to play the sport I love every day. It's moved from that, right? Yeah. It's a job. You look at the NFL players. Yeah. The reason why they spend their own money to go and do the best treatments is because their body is the tool to do their trade. Yeah. Same here. If you're involved in sport in Singapore in the pay capacity should not you be in the best position to work for your sport? Yeah. You know, and that kind of is the mentality I take regardless whether I get money or not, which, yeah. you know, sometimes rubs people the wrong way. La, but, yeah. you know, that is important because if you don't provide the structure, and I don't think we don't have a structure here. I think that we're just not tapping the right structures. Mm. You know, we haven't found that secret source, so to speak, that, yeah. that hits that but it's also based on how you can then work with what you've got. You know, be it sponsorships, partnerships, barter trade, whatever it is. Mm. You know, I think little things like, like I, I'm sure that in your time in the national team, little things like even if you get a pair of compression socks, really were happy like anything mm. else because that's not been given before. Yeah. You know, I remember in my time in the national team, it was, you know, someone made a suggestion hey, you know, we're on, if we're a national team, we're a traveling team, we should have proper number ones. Mm. And I go, sure, but the union is not going to pay for it because there was no budget for it. But if I can get a discount, are the guys keen? Sure. I went, I swear to you, I went to six or seven tailors in Peninsula Plaza, Haji Lane, and I asked, are you keen, are you keen, are you keen? Yeah. Last one said, sure, no problem, we'll do it. You know, we'll give you, a, and it was one of those upmarket guys, but the young guys, they were more happy to do it. I, and th- that's the point I make. I think we always say that we can't because we don't. But if you don't think out of the box a little bit, it's very hard. La. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a story. The, I think there were a couple of years in the national team where we also had a dry spell with sponsors. Yeah. Yeah, so a couple of us, like the older heads, myself, DM, John, and... So we were we were traveling in the Asian Seven Series. We we looked like jokers because we were all wearing different kit Whatever, and, and yeah. different training tees and and <coughs> carry our own luggage bags and all that. So we we got fed up lah. So we 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 called up this guy from Under Armour and they said, "Hey, I, I mean I can't offer you guys free stuff, but I can bring down the price, give you a good discount. You know, if you buy for the yep. team and all that." Yep. So we made it an open day, la, asked yeah. the asked the shop to give us a discount that day. So we brought the boys down. I don't know how many underwear, how many <laughs> pairs of underwear Jay bought, but um Yeah, that's yeah. all he wore all uh, that's yeah. all he wore all through, right? <laughs> <laughs> don't talk about underwear, I tell you. Jay 
Jay's first roommate in his national men's team tour. I didn't say this in the last podcast. <laughs> so Jay's first roommate in his in his men's sevens team tour debut was me. <laughs> and I have to tell you this story. Okay, I'm sorry, Jay. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, it was the it was the Bangkok sevens. We we had a decent run and all that. And then Sunday night, the boys went out to to drink and celebrate and whatever. Um, I I was back in bed early la. Um. So, naturally, Jay came back. He was sleeping in his underwear or whatever. I woke up early. I went to the sink to wash up. And the first thing I saw <laughs> in the sink was Jay Heichel's soiled underwear. <laughs> soiled. Like, I mean, soiled. <laughs> in the basin. In the in the sink. Uh, that would Sorry, have, Jay. That, that would have turned you off breakfast for sure. Sorry, Jay. I had to say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, like, like, like your point is, is, is valid, right? We are, uh, as a country, as, as people, we are not short of resources, right? Uh, I think I was talking to DM that day also. We were talking about, hey, we, we have so many things to complain. Yeah, our players are not paid. We are not professional. We are not this. We are not that. We, we don't have this. We don't have that. But on the other side of the coin, we also have a lot of things. We have resources if we want to choose to to, to go and access. Yeah. We have gyms at every corner of the street now. Yeah. We have fields that are available. We have shops that sell all the equipment that we need. We don't yeah. have to wait don't know how many months and order yeah. boots in. We don't have to think about yeah. shortage of rugby equipment. Yeah. And and yeah, it, it it's about perspective and a bit of a mindset also. Yeah, I mean I got you know, I was privileged last year to work with the Asia Pacific Dragons when they were based here yeah. playing GRR. And then you speak to the guys from the islands, the Tongans, the Fijians. They go, John, you got so many things here. I mm. said, Yeah, but you know, we see, even then in the islands we got zero. You know? Exactly. Exactly. They go, you know, Jim, you got the park there with the monkey bar, we just do. You know, that that kind of, of mentality. Yeah. Yeah. They go, you hear if you got like you said, if there's any if you want a rugby ball, you go to the sports shop and you get a rugby ball. You see, yeah. in Tonga, we got to order and it comes by ship and he wasn't joking, you know. And Exactly. And and those are the things that, that I think we are fortunate that we don't use enough. Uh, I think we, the thing is that there is, a, if, as in our nature, it's very easy to say, ah, we, we can't do it. You know, but it's, l- connecting the dots is very important to see how we can get it done. Mm. You know, e- like I said, like you said, you, your time with the national team and all this kind of thing, Little things like apparel and stuff actually helps the players' psyche and the players' mentality because yeah. you then know why you're playing because you see you put all your your sacrifices, your work, your family, and all this. You're not asking for money, but you want to be able to be say, "Hey, take pride that I'm actually representing yeah. the yeah. country in whatever shape or form." Right. Yeah. Um. So to me, you know, that is very important. So I I totally emphasize with you about about the whole gear and stuff like that, you know. And I mm. think the last year that I was involved with the national team, we didn't have, we suddenly didn't have a apparel sponsor. <laughs> Boys didn't have bags. And I went, uh, this is not going to happen. Yeah. So I took it on my own. I asked a few guys for the donations. I went to the Nike. Uh, I got, I mean, with one of the boys of yeah, you know yeah. works for Nike. Hey, yeah, go, yeah. go to the shop. Open there, like quickly buy all, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And... And and those are the things that that you need to do to make sure that I think from a administrative perspective, it's not about giving them the carrot or the dangle or if you if you win yeah, you it's get not, this. It's not about that. It's yeah. treating them with a little bit more of that kind of entitlement that they are athletes. Not I I don't say that badly. I just yeah, say yeah, that yeah. this is the you're giving them the tools of the trade. Yeah. You know, I think it's simple things like, and I'm not talking myself up. Hopefully, it's the simple things like. In my last year with the national team and also with APDs, I went to phys- go and make name plates. You know, like 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 they do in the in the gym, you, know, you put your name yeah, on the yeah, plate. Yeah, so yeah. these were, you know, uh, hard hard bought plastic plates that wherever you go, you just put the plates on yeah. with the names and everything. I think the boys were quite the players were quite you know that to them right. It is also a little a little morale booster. It's a little yeah. bit of a and it helps create. Your, your mentality. So these are the little things. But I think from a wider standpoint, it's also the fact is unfortunately we have a lot of administrators in the NSAs that go into it unfortunately or fortunately for the for the, the wrong, wrong reasons. reasons. Yeah. You know, uh, the reasons might have been right when they walked in, but 
you know for some reason or another yeah gets lost along the way la. I think you going into it, the the pitfall of going into all these committees and stuff is you tend to drink your own kool and go oh I am now in a position of power yeah I don't really think so um you're in a position to help and that's the best part la. Mm. yeah okay John um we are almost at the end of our time <laughs> absolutely great having you on uh, I thought it was interesting uh, the things that you mentioned really resonated with me uh, yeah um, one last thing before we go yep. um, now you've been through the route I mean the pathway as a player in the youth setup and you've been, been in the or you are still in the administra- administrative role um, what advice do you have or what would you like to see in the current generation or future generation of athletes? I would say, you know, the current ath- generation now have so much ahead of them in terms of accessibility and in terms of potential. Mm. You know, you look at it now. If you're good enough, you're not limited to this island. Mm. You know, you might not have money to go to univers- to overseas university, but, you know, nowadays with videos and stuff, you can send it to, you know, end of the day being in the sports business world so clubs are looking beyond their borders they, they're not looking you know if professional clubs be it in football soccer basketball whatever you know look at it they're all not just looking for their local guys yeah. right the adage is now even more clearer if you're good enough you're good enough it doesn't matter I mean the best basketball player in the world now is not even from the US he's, he's dominating Luka Donich right mm. Dif- different I think I would hope that the current generation in Singapore take advantage of the connector world that they're in. Mm. Because they, I mean, they've got so many things at their disposal. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, take adva- I would say take advantage of the experience. If you have an experience to go overseas and study, don't just go there and study and party. Yeah. Take advantage of the, of, of the thing. doesn't matter if you don't play in the first team. doesn't matter if you don't play in the second team. Th- you know, you go there for the experience. I think... You know, I, a short story. I think one of the guys that we know, uh, uh, Chongyi, went up to, to Sydney to mm. study. First year he got there, he, I said, hey, why don't you go and play for the club? No, 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 it's okay. I'm going to play in some subbies and, you know, we know him. He will just enjoy himself. Lah. Um, then finally he decided, okay, I'm going to play for Sydney. And he started the third team and he stayed there. He told me, I've never trained so hard in my entire life. I said, and by see, enjoyed it. I said, Chongyi, if you had listened to me day one, you would be enjoying it even more. You know, But that's the point. Yeah. We, we as Singaporeans tend to say, ah, I'm just happy to go there. You know, if I haven't played rugby at a high level, mm. I have no point. Lah. If I didn't play sport, just play for fun. But I knew a lot of guys that took advantage of it. Take advantage of it. You know, yeah. you're, if you want, it doesn't matter what your aim is. If your aim is to play well for the school, take advantage of the fact that you have a, intern, you have a connected world. Yeah. If, you're, if your if, uh, aim is to play for the national team, then take advantage of whatever opportunities you have. If mm. there is a, like like you like you said uh, when when it came to combined schools, no on the team, never mind I just go and train uh, yeah, You know, yeah. I find and and I'm on the outsider a little bit is kids nowadays tend to to just say okay cannot cannot lah. Yeah. You know the the like what we talked about the extra mile. Yeah. They don't realize that the extra mile is actually extra centimeters. They just have to take two or three centimeters, and they're there. It's not a climb like what you what we experience. It's a closed, fixed mindset kind of approach, la. Yeah. Like you said, the. It's about daring to take that first step. Yeah. Right. It's about daring to take that first step. You you don't see our young athletes or young rugby players or whatever um. Taking video highlights of themselves, or yeah. you don't see them dreaming big, because. They think that this is it, right? Yeah. There's nothing outside of here. Yeah. I, I can watch what the other guys are doing outside, but that's not me. Yeah. You know? So that that is mindset la, and that will that will take some time to shift. La. The I always have these chats with DM and, and one of the, the things we mentioned is uh, like for Singapore to have professional rugby players overseas, it just needs the first person. Yeah just need one person to yep. take the step or, or to be found somehow yep. uh, highlight reel or something and yep. then invited to like Japan or Australia or whatever to play at, at some some division and that's it that will open the gates that that will start to start people thinking hey it's possible but at the, and I'm not I'm totally agreeable but it's also finding the right person who dares to do it 
Of you course. Know, we, of as course. you and I know, we've, there have been guys that we've tried to push that have not yeah. succeeded yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. But you're right. You look at the Philippines, for example, from a rugby standpoint. Yeah. The reason why more and more guys came back to play for them is because they had guys who were daring enough to go and play Exactly. In, in you know in in uh, in Japan, yeah. same in Malaysia. You look yeah. at at Duke, you know. So it, you're right. It just takes one guy, but that one guy has to be the trailblazer, and yeah. it's got to be. I use the word ballsy enough, yeah. you know, to ignore what the mother is saying. Hey, I'm paying you to go. And, uh, I pay for your education to not play rugby for the father. Say, hey, you're old enough. To, you know, those are the things that unfortunately are are representative of the time that we have grown up in Singapore mm. it's not a bad thing it's just a fact of life lah. Yeah. but if you but I think yeah you're right it just takes one it really just takes one yeah okay John uh, <laughs> thank you very much for taking time out uh, coming to have a chat yeah um, really insightful and uh, yeah I think actually this is a side I never heard from you before <laughs> so you yeah, only hear me shouting is it yeah you hear you shouting hear you I mean we always talk shit about other people but <laughs> this is a this is a side I never heard before and I, I found it insightful and it's good to really see that passionate side of you yeah. Um, yeah so thanks thanks for coming down thanks for having a chat and um, to the guys listening out there my stand is the same as long as one person listens and one person benefits <laughs> we have done our job so this is the Create Don't Hate podcast. Ciao.